Hello and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick. Happy to be here. Awesome. We are going to be talking about an article from John L. Sorensen called Winds and Currents, A Look at Nephi's Ocean Crossing. And this is, uh, I guess there's a history of two different publications of this research. Mm-hmm. It was based on research that was published in 1980, that was done in 1986. Let me make the point of saying that at the end of the article. And then it was published, and this is kind of an anthology volume um, of a bunch of small updates uh, meant for a more popular audience that was done in 1992. And so John Sorensen has spent a lot of time on this topic, on transoceanic voyages and transoceanic contact. And if you want to, there he has a massive bibliography on pre-Columbian contact with the, uh, from the Americas across the, uh, the ocean. He's published a lot of stuff on it in the intervening years, 1992 and now. I didn't want to think about it, but that's actually uh, yeah, almost 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, nonetheless, the research is still solid, and it's yeah. actually gotten more solid. This more time has passed. There's even an entire uh, periodical that was called Pre-Columbiana that had to do with uh, contact. So the the basic question here for a lot of listeners might be, why does this matter again? Yeah. But I think it's a reasonable question to ask from someone who doesn't know a lot about the methods of transportation during the time of the Book of Mormon. Was it even possible for people to do what Nephi wrote about? Yeah, we also we have a lot of uh, modern influence on our perspective here. It's like, oh yeah, of course you can make that voyage. I mean, it'll take a while, but it'll be fine. We don't think about the fact that seafaring technology was not nearly as advanced, and most seafaring ships tended to hug the shore, not making voyages like this. But we know that voyages had to be made. For instance, with the with the spreading of uh, of Polynesia and the colonizing of the islands throughout the Pacific, there had to have been seafaring. And so this was John's look at some of the ways that Lehi and his family could have traveled, certain routes they could have taken. But that would be kind of fun to think about, like, what were your images growing up of how Lehi's, <laughs> Lehi's journey went? It had to be the, the muscle-bound versions Freeberg. of yeah, the Freeberg pictures mm-hmm. of them leaning over the edge of the ship looking out over the ocean and all the family there together with seagulls in the background. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I pictured because that's what we had when we were doing, if you can remember, the flannel boards that we used that's to do. That's before my time, I'm that's afraid. That's before your time? Oh, man. Now you're making me feel even older. So I I looked at the Freeberg stuff as kind of my my version of, of, of what things probably looked like, which – even Freeberg himself knows that there was artistic license, license taken. taken. But uh, then my kids had the the living scriptures. Which is what I grew up on <laughs> in the early 90s. And uh, yeah, my image, there was, there was a music montage. The boat was built. And uh, they started traveling. And the, the actual voyage seemed to be pretty short from the living scriptures point of view. I mean, they had the, the rebellion. They had the storm. And then a few days later, they were there. Yeah. Uh, but this would have taken a sizable amount of time probably at least half a year. And Sorensen makes the interesting point. I, I always thought of the voyage as just happening, boom, uh, straight through. I don't know if you could hear, but I snapped there when I said it <laughs> to the listeners. Um, but Sorensen makes the point that they probably would have had to stop on various islands along the way for resupply, et cetera. Food storage would have been a major issue yeah. on the boat. We can ask, why does Nephi not mention this in the record? And he set, gives us the answer himself when he, he's pointed out that his is a history record. His is meant to be a record of more spiritual things. And the voyage is covered as a, as a matter of incidental things. And as part of 
the creation of the story of the Nephite nation. Yeah. But he's writing this 30 years later after the voyage had happened. And so he's not going to be focusing a lot on details. He's going to be focusing on the most prominent part, which was the few days he spent tied to the mast during a storm. Yeah. He's going to be focusing on that and less on resupply and maintenance of the boat. Well, and you, you mentioned it before that you don't think about those details because they're not there. Mm-hmm. But he takes the effort in this article to give some very plausible stopping points yeah. and, and ways that this could have gone. And this is based on ocean currents, wind currents, things like that, right? So it's not a long one. No. It's kind of a shorter which is, article. Which is a relief to our listeners after <laughs> this slog from the last two episodes, I'm sure. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed them. Yeah. Glad that you're back afterwards. <laughs> So this is, uh, again, an article from John L. Sorensen called Winds and Currents, a look at Nephi's ocean crossing. Winds and Currents, a look at Nephi's ocean crossing, a book chapter by John L. Sorensen in the book titled Re-Exploring the Book of Mormon, published in 1992. The Book of Mormon provides only fragmentary information about the voyage of Lehi's party from Arabia to America, but external sources help us grasp what might have been involved. If one were to sail from the southern coast of Arabia across the Indian Ocean and then across the Pacific to Central America, which seems to have been Lehi's most likely route, what combination of winds, currents, times, and distances would make the voyage feasible under the normally prevailing conditions? From Arabia to Indonesia. Navigation on the Indian Ocean remained in many ways the same from very early times until the development of steamships. Sailing there has always depended upon the monsoons. The word monsoon is from the Arabic mosim, which literally means the date for sailing from one port in order to reach another. According to Tibbets, the end of March or beginning of April was the best time to head east from the South Arabian coast. If delayed too long after that, a ship would encounter huge, dangerous swells as it neared the west coast of India. The route would have gone essentially straight east at about 15 degrees north latitude to the Indian coast, then south around Ceylon in time for the southwest monsoon, first felt in May in the Bay of Bengal. Sumatra would have been reached no later than September. The great storm in 1 Nephi chapter 18 verses 13 through 14 could have been either a cyclonic storm or a typhoon, which are violent in the Bay of Bengal. The great calm in 1 Nephi chapter 18, verse 21 may have been a doldrum. If Nephi's vessel continued through the Java and Flores seas of modern Indonesia, the westerly winds of December to March could have taken it past those areas within the first year of the trip. This route is most likely, although there are other possibilities. Since boats routinely had to be breached for repairs after storms, or to have their bottoms scraped, or wait for favorable winds, it is reasonable to assume that Lehi's party would have stopped from time to time on their journey through these islands. The closeness of major islands and historical records of other voyaging in the area suggest further that traveling from Java to the Admiralty Islands off the north coast of New Guinea would not have been especially difficult. Across the Pacific Professor Ben Finney, an authority at the University of Hawaii on Pacific Island voyaging, has recently pointed out how early voyagers could have moved from Melanesia out to the broad Pacific to the east. 
Until recently, he notes, scholars have been puzzled about easterly travel by Polynesians across the Pacific, since the normal trade winds would appear to have posed an almost insurmountable barrier to easterly movement. Finney reports that new information about the meteorological phenomenon, known on the west coast of South America as El Nino, now changes the picture. When El Nino conditions prevail, warm surface water from the equatorial zones moves south down the coast of South America, upsetting many normal conditions. It is now known that the trouble begins with a slackening of the normal trade winds. This causes a strong easterly flow of water from the western Pacific all the way to South America. That is accompanied by unusual westerly winds in place of the trades. Under these conditions, travel from Melanesia to South America is quite feasible. Finney proposes that the makers of Lapita pottery sailed out of Melanesia on such westerlies reaching western Polynesia before 1000 BC. Their descendants would have used the same winds to move, perhaps all the way to the Marquesas Islands from Tonga. Finney further suggests that the same winds might bear a vessel virtually to the Americas. Depending on conditions, the winds could then take a vessel either to South or Central America. It seems likely that these spells of westerlies have occurred every 7 to 16 years throughout the past. Other combinations of winds and routes eastward are also possible, as Finney notes. How long might Nephi's voyage have taken? From Tonga to the Marquesas is about 30% of the distance from the Bismarck Archipelago to Central America. Finney figures it could have taken about 30 days to sail this distance under El Nino conditions. Thus, the whole Pacific distance might be four or five times that, or in other words, a little less than half a year. The entire journey from Arabia to Central America might have taken from one to two years, depending on the route and time allowed to stop for food, water, and repairs. Of course, Nephi could not have explicitly planned such a voyage. He indicates that his group was guided by God through the Liahona. Divine knowledge of wind and sea conditions within the range we now know to have existed could indeed have permitted the successful crossing of two oceans, more than halfway around the earth in a plausible period of time. This update was based on research by John L. Sorensen from April 1986. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast. Please stay tuned to this podcast by subscribing in iTunes or on SoundCloud. Please visit our archive online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Thanks for listening.